if the product is good, we have the fan base. And that's not just in North Carolina. I want to continue to see from the men's national team is different players getting opportunities. Be here or don't be here. Like we're putting in all this work. If I were an MLS player and I got the opportunity to play in Gold Cup and Burhalter didn't want to coach, I'd, I'd be so confused. Why? I bet you Burhalter gets rid of BJ Callahan. I was really impressed with Carolina. Defensively, I think was the biggest breakdown for San Diego. Something's going on in Portland. People die, right? Like people could die during a hot dog eating contest. Like swallow one thing the wrong way and you're toast. Welcome back into Straight from the Pitch. Joined as always by Scotty Schweitzer. I'm Anna Witte. Happy day after 4th of July, everyone. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July, a safe, fun, ate a lot of good food. We are back and we are going to be talking about the U.S. men's national team off the top. They went to Charlotte Sunday night and played Trinidad and Tobago. Before we get into the numbers of the actual soccer game, for context, I'm from Cary, North Carolina, grew up there. Scotty, actually, Scott, when did you move to Raleigh? What year did you move? I moved back to Raleigh in 2005, 2004, okay. 2005. Uh, but I went to NC State, so I was here in 89 to 92 before I left and started playing. And then again, when I came back in 2005 and been here ever since. So both of us combined have over 20 years of experience of watching soccer grow in the Carolinas. Over 47,000 people were in attendance for the U.S. Men's National Team's first match ever in Charlotte, North Carolina. So when you see the numbers and the impact of soccer here in the Carolinas with that match in particular, how do you think that has affected soccer here in North and South Carolina? I think it's been amazing. Even when I moved here in 2005, I was shocked at how, not just how many clubs there were, but how many big clubs there were in North Carolina. And then how many really, really good players there were, boys and girls on, on both sides of the boys and the girls side, especially here locally within the triangle right around Raleigh and everything. And then now as my years have gone, Charlotte's got some pretty big clubs and, and they've done really good. And then with the MLS team coming, obviously. But I think what it really does is it shows you how many soccer fans there are in the U.S., not just here in Charlotte. And if we give a good product, they come out to watch. And I think that's the key. You have to continually – you just can't, here, we got a product and everyone's going to come. It has to be a really good product for them to come and watch. Um, like like here locally, we have NCFC, which is in the, the – basically the third division in the USL. And they're in first place this year. And if they get 400 fans, I'd be I'd be shocked because, to be honest, the the entirety of that league and those teams, the, the quality is not as high as it should be for the fans. But then when the NWSL teams come in to carry now, now you're getting 4000, 5000, 7000 fans. And the bigger the game, the more people will be here. And then you see it in in Charlotte when Charlotte opened up this year and when they had their massive crowd. And then now with the national team playing their first time with 40 8,000 basically people. If the product is good, we have the fan base. And that's not just in North Carolina. That, that's in every state, I feel. But the, the fan base, we have to give the fan base credit that they know what they're watching and, and they know good talent. So if we bring a good product and a really good game and, and play a real good game of soccer, the fans are going to come out. Listen, Messi's coming into the league, Busquets is coming into the league, and you can't buy a Miami ticket home or away. 
because they know the quality is going to be amazing on the field, what they're about to watch, at, at least in two players, at least. And, and there's better players than just the two of them playing in the MLS, but they know the quality is going to be, I, I think Messi and they, they feel it too as fans, he's going to raise the standard at Miami for sure. And playing against them, people are going to be geared up to see how good am I against Lionel Messi, the best player in the world. How good am I against Sergio Busquets, one of the greatest midfielders every play? So I, I think that's really what it shows is we have the fan base throughout the country because we have the fan base right here in North Carolina, South Carolina, which is not the ha- hotbed of soccer when you talk about it throughout, you know, the soccer community is the, the, the New Jersey's, the, the Miami's, the Texas, the Californians. Those are usually the the places we bring up when we think about soccer in the United States, not the North Carolinas. Now, like I said, we do have a lot of talented young players. We have the colleges that are very talented. So we do have good soccer here. And now when you bring in the national team or you bring in real high quality teams, we sell out the stadiums. We, we do what we're supposed to. We have the fan base to, to, to be able to support a team like that and to support games like that. My college teammate moved to Charlotte post-college, and she's a huge Charlotte FC fan, and she wanted to go to the Messi game, which I think he's coming in October, and she said the tickets starting were 400 450 and and didn't buy a ticket. She's waiting to see how things play out, but it's really, you make a good point with the talent and bringing the talent, and, and if they have the talent coming to the Carolinas, people will show up and support it. Between North Carolina and Atlanta United, those are two of the biggest numbers that we saw at the start of the 2023 season, and it shows that people will travel. North Carolina, South Carolina are really close together. It's really easy to travel to Charlotte. Charlotte's two hours from Raleigh. Charlotte's, what, three hours from Charleston, the coast of the Carolinas. So, so many people will travel to support their teams if the talent is there. I think the growth is tremendous with what Charlotte FC has done. They're not at the top of the table. They're about in the middle of the Eastern standings, and they still have fans showing up and supporting them. The U.S. men's national team having the numbers support them on what was an extremely hot day in the Carolinas. Sunday afternoon was brutal down here, Uh, but it's really cool to see. And I think with what Charlotte FC is doing, we talked about the USL Super League getting a Charlotte women's team. We've got the courage just across the state. I'm excited to see, and hopefully the men's national team will come back to Charlotte. And hopefully the women's national team, after the World Cup, they do that tour I hope to see them in Charlotte as well. I think that would be a great place for them to land. Mentioning the talent, though, we had 16 of the guys who played in the match against Trinidad and Tobago. Only four of them don't play in MLS clubs. So it was the final Group A Gold Cup match played Sunday night. It was a 6-0 win for the U.S. men's national team. That is obvious, and honestly, that number is to be expected. It was a hat-trick from Jesus Ferreira, his second in a row. His hat-trick was scored all within the first half, and then we had goals from Cade Cow, North Carolina native Gianna Luca Buzo, and then Brandon Vasquez, the end and extra time, had a goal coming off the bench. Out of all of the players and what you saw, how do you evaluate so many MLS players coming in, getting the opportunity to start and play these massive minutes here in the States in a Gold Cup match against Trinidad and Tobago? There's a lot of context there. Yeah, well, um, the Gold Cup has been less than expected, in, in my opinion. 
and that's all the teams, not just the U.S. I, you know, but that's CONCACAF. That's what we, we have to deal with. But uh, the, the Mexican team is a shell of themselves. They're in the shambles. You know, they're, they're hiring coaches, firing coaches. I think this is a better pick for them as a head coach. Uh, I think Jamaica has been the best team in the tournament, to be honest. Um, and that's saying something just, just a few months ago. Jamaica was a complete shambles. They couldn't get their visas right. They couldn't get the right players in. They were playing with 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 just enough players and some players that had never made national team call-ups. So for me, the Gold Cup has been less than than expected, uh, to, to be honest. But the way the U.S. national team is doing what they're doing, like when, when I was with the national team back in the 90s, early 90s, when we got called into games like this, they didn't even consider them full national team. We actually were called the national B team. And you would play like a Honduras and El Salvador. And it was just a game where the full coach didn't always necessarily even coach. We had an assistant coach maybe coach the game. And it was just to get looks and really get to get players the the opportunity to be in the environment. So when they were called into a full, full squad game, it wasn't so daunting for them in a, in a sense. So for me... I, I don't think the quality of soccer has been super great on any side, U.S. or what we're playing against, but we're doing what we're supposed to against lesser competition. Um, uh, like I said, there's been some players that, like I thought, Busso's done pretty good. And granted, he's one of the players that started in the MLS, was in Kansas City, I'm pretty sure, and now he's over in, over in Europe. But his speed of play was a little bit faster than everybody else. I think you could see some of the European players – it's not necessarily that they have they're fitter or they're faster or they're more technical. It's just their speed of play. It's just their decision making is a, is a is a bit faster and and they they play the game a little bit faster. They see the ins and the outs of the game a lot easier and a lot quicker than than the MLS players do. Um, so for for me watching it, like to say who should get moved up or not moved up or this, I think Zendayas has been pretty good, um, but he's usually in in that full squad when we have serious more serious games bigger games um but but other than that I, I think it's a great opportunity for for the the national team system to get looks at players and I think we could easily from this say this player should get called in again this player probably shouldn't get called in again this was good to see Kate I think it was a good I was a player who said I would like to see Kate Cow more I, I said that as a, as a back on the show earlier and I think from this he has some work to do before he gets called back in. That That's my opinion. He seems to be this a lot of energy, which is what I said earlier. He doesn't seem to be even his goal. He gets a breakaway from a bad pass and he does extra. He does actually more than he has to. He ends up getting the goal, but he had a, a lot easier finish if he would have just simplified it. And instead he beats the goalie, then he has to beat another player. Then he got to kind of get his goal over a player that's slide tackling to make a block. So he actually does more than he needed to. But, but it's a good opportunity for us to see players and see the coaching staff to see players that, hey, you know what, this guy's really not ready for it. Or this guy, this guy might be ready. Let's see if we can bring him in and see if he has the same results against a higher quality opponent and with better players around them on our own team. So, so in that instance, I think the Gold Cup has been good for, for us to be like, we're the greatest team in the, in the world. And watching some of the uh, Alexi Lalas and some of those guys talk, it's like, we need to pump the brakes a little bit because we're playing weaker players on our own national team against weaker players from a weaker national team than we granted it's CONCACAF, but it's solely CONCACAF except for Cutter that's in, in the league with us right now for, 
for whatever reasons and money reasons that they're they're in it this year. So that, that's kind of what I see at the Gold Cup right now. I want to correct myself before we move forward. Five of the 16 players don't play in MLS. So not four, but five of them. Speaking of numbers, Scotty, it's a conversation that we had before we started recording that I want to get to. You mentioned the talent and how many of new talent that we have playing in Gold Cup. We see that in the men's national team that some of these players get chances. They get opportunities and caps to figure out what partnerships might look good together. God forbid injuries down the line. Who can they pull up to slot into certain roles because they've seen them in the national team experience. With the U.S. men's women's national team, we don't see that happening quite often. Sam Coffey didn't have opportunities early in 2023 to make the full World Cup roster. Plenty of NWSL players didn't get those opportunities. That's one thing that I see with the U.S. men's national team that I really like and something that I saw pay off, especially in the attacking third, was partnerships were there. There was some really good connecting passes. I think it was Ferreira's first goal of the night. That was a really good team effort to build up and find opportunities inside the box that I want to continue to see from the men's national team is different players getting opportunities, who looks good on a big stage, who can handle the bright lights and 50,000 people around them, and who might not be ready necessarily and needs more work before, like you said, Kate Cal. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And I think when you're watching as a coach, and a, an assistant coach, and you're watching these players, I think you have to be looking at, okay, Ferreras makes these runs, and that'll be good with Reyna, because he's not there. So you, you, you're kind of like guessing, will that run, and will the, the way Reyna plays, or McKinney plays, or Adams plays, or Musa plays, or Pulisic, will it fit? Sure, it fit with these guys, but they're they're playing in a league that's very similar. They're playing in a style that's very similar with their club teams. Whereas these other players that are on the full team that we just saw in Nations League, I mean, most of them are all European players. So they're playing at a different pace. They're playing at a different style. They're they're playing with different coaching um, styles and systems implemented into their own brains, and then they take it and go with it. So you're looking at where do these certain pieces fit with the pieces we know are already going to be there. And then when you bring up, like you said, the women, I think part of it, and we'd have to really dive into it, but the old collective bargaining agreement that the women were under was they were a full, their salary was set for the year. So if they missed the game, it didn't matter. They still got paid. And I said to you earlier, back in the day, Sam Mewis was getting called in when she first had figured out that she had a knee problem. They were still bringing her into camps. And she wasn't even playing here at in, in Carolina. She wasn't playing for the courage. She was hurt. She couldn't get on the field. She couldn't train. But because she was getting paid, they were bringing her into camps to sign autographs, to do this, to do that. Whereas the men, if you don't come into a camp and you have a, a contract with the national team, it just gets prorated based on the games you played that year and games you missed that year. So I'd have to look into, is that the reason the women still do it? Or did it change now with the new collective bargaining agreement? And it's something we're used to. Is it, are they worried that if, if the women did the same thing and brought in basically a B team, would they sell out? Would the fans show up? Would they come? I think so. I think so. Because of the NWSL. But are they, are they are worried about that? Whereas... The men, I think sometimes they're not worried about that because I personally think sometimes they don't think they're going to get that many fans. I don't think the fan base is what drives the men's team, whereas we do a lot of tours 
with the women's team, like for the fans, it's a fan appreciation tour. We'll do four games and we'll go to big cities where, Hey, or cities where the fans don't normally get to see us. So the women do a better job of that. So you're right. I think some younger players need to, because older players are going to be on their way out. Even if we got it wrong, what we said, and some of these older players should be there this world cup, this is their last one. So as soon as this one's over, New players need to be getting cycled in so that we stay number one. Maybe because the men aren't number one, are happy with 11 in the world, that they're okay with bringing in these different players here and there. And the the other thing is the men that are on it usually are playing this 10-month season with 80-something games. So when they finally get a rest, they need to get their rest. Because, like, even I was saying, why is the Nation League's this roster – and then the Gold Cup, this roster. Now, the U.S. must have known everybody else's roster, too, because Mexico doesn't look good. Jamaica's the only team that's okay. St. Kitts is not very good. Trinidad and Tobago's not very good. I mean, so so maybe they knew this was a great opportunity. We're going to still win some games, give, give the players a taste of a W, and we get to see some players, and these guys get a rest that are going to go back to the European clubs soon. Could be a lot of factors as to why the national team brought in a completely different roster from Nations League. I was speaking with someone yesterday who went to the game in Charlotte, and they said that the Haiti-Honduras game actually had more numbers and a higher attendance than the men's national team game, which is really interesting. And I think that's also a case of there's no Christian Pulisic there. You know, Matt Turner's there, but outside of him and Miles Robinson, there's not anybody who has the national name that – they probably expected to be in that match. And obviously in the Carolinas, like there is um, fans that love to see Honduras, Haiti. There's a big culture for those. And when they come to the Carolinas, which is like never, they're going to take advantage of that, which could have been one of the reasons. I'm curious, Scotty, do you think Greg Berhalter, because BJ Callahan coached that match and he's going to coach the match throughout the rest of this Gold Cup. Do you think that... Greg Berhalter was at the match and even deeper into that. Is he in the locker room? Like who's making these decisions? Uh, it sounds like he is making the decisions. I would doubt that he's in the locker room, but man, do I really hope he's at the games? Like, yeah, I would think it would be a deterrent for him to be in the locker room, to be honest. Why? Because he's not making like, he's not making the split decision even if he's on the earphone or whatever, it's still like it all has to get relayed. BJ doesn't have a headphone in. So it goes to an assistant who then has to get his attention, who has to bring it over. I think for me is like, if he's the coach, if you decided that this is me as a player too, if you decided you're not coaching this gold cup, then don't coach it or do coach it. Like you be here or don't be here. Like we're putting in all this work. These are guys that are trying to, and believe whether they're, false in their thoughts or true in their thoughts, they believe they should be on the full team. They believe they're just as good as Pulisic, just as good as Reina. And you have to as a player. So then when you get this coach who you know is going to be the coach, that's just going to be there in the locker room and say, hey, you're not doing – like, have you been at all the practices? Why aren't you on the sidelines? Like, why? And then it's not – listen, if he wanted to, he could have argued with Crocker and said, no, I want to be – once you hire me, I want to be with the team. I want to be with all the guys. I want to, and that's kind of my problem with this whole scenario of him being the coach is like, 
wait, what, when are you the coach? Like, is it, why are you starting after this? Like we decided you're the coach. Let's coach, be a part of it. Know the guys, know the attitudes, know this. Like, did you know that when you told Gio at the world cup that he was going to be limited minutes and maybe not even play that he was going to pout and sulk because you needed to, you needed to know that that was going to happen because you're the coach, you're the leader. So like the more time I can be around players to get to understand them, to work on stuff, then I, I want to be there. Like, that's why I coach. That's You're there because you want to be a part of the growth. You want to be a part of the day in and day out, all the work. Like, I still to this day when I coach, I almost get upset at myself when I'm leading the drills because I'm not doing the work. Now, I know I have done the work in the past, but as a player, I always like, this coach blowing that whistle, making me run, telling me I'm not going hard enough, and he's just sitting there blowing a whistle. Like I'm dying over here. How does he know how hard I am? Does he know that I've been sick for a week? Does he know like for me, like as a coach, I want to be around it all. I want to be a part of all of it because there's a huge learning thing that goes on when you're the coach, the better you understand your players, the better you can coach them and get a result on the field. And I don't mean just a win. I mean, good games and bad games and, and learning and, and improving every single game. And, and I, to me, like, if he's making these calls, I think it's a mistake. Like, this is BJ's team right now. This is the way you guys set it up. If you didn't want it to be BJ's team, and I think personally, I think they're going to have a bit of a problem when it's his turn to coach. Because now I have loyalty to BJ as a player. He stuck with us this whole time. He's been here the whole time. He didn't run and jump ship. Hudson was here. I would have had. A, I would have been with Hudson, but okay, Hudson left and went here. Now I have BJ like... He's been part of the staff the whole time. He never left us. He, he was always with us. He was always a part of this. We were going to get through this all together. And then they brought Burhalter back. Okay, whatever. But now my loyalty is that I'll be talking a lot. If I'm a player, I'll be going to BJ a lot. And probably me personally, before I went to Burhalter, I would go to BJ and say, do I need to go and talk to him? Or is this something you can handle? Or how do you think I should handle it? Because that guy's been there day in and day out with us since the whole thing. You make a great point with if Greg Berhalter wanted to be there, he could go to Matt Crocker and make that happen. No question. If, if they give him that role, I think right now for the Gold Cup, when there are so many MLS players and players that we aren't, we didn't see at the World Cup, is the most important time for Berhalter to be with the team, to be within the system, to figure out the talent that they do have within the States that could potentially make it to this level. The whole thing is so confusing. And I almost feel like dumb asking, like, is he at the game? Because he should be. He's the head coach. They hired him several weeks ago. But the whole thing is, I think, gone about in such a strange way. And I wish them the best. I want this to be successful for them. I want the men's national team to win all the trophies, all the World Cups that they possibly can. I believe they've shot themselves in the foot so many times with the Greg Berhalter coming back, how they're going about it how BJ Callahan is still going to be with the team after he was the head coach for gold cup. And he was with nations league. It's all confusing and it doesn't make much sense, but it's the situation that us soccer is in. And I hope that down the road it pays off and Greg Berhalter can potentially turn around what they're doing, but it's really confusing and seems like a hot mess to be 
quite honest with you. And they need consistency with anything you do in life. You talk to some of these coaches, especially when I, you know, with NWSL, you talk to Chicago Red Stars. What's the biggest thing that's holding you back? Well, we don't have consistency and we'll get there because they're a big topic about what I'm talking about later in the show. But consistency is such a big word. No matter what you do in life, you need to always know that your leader is going to be there in that way. And when Greg Berhalter is not there after he gets fired, as a player, I would have so many questions. Like if I were an MLS player and I got the opportunity to play in Gold Cup and Berhalter didn't want to coach, I'd, I'd be so confused. Why? Well, then why even call me up if the coach who's going to be a part of this team isn't even going to coach me? I agree. The U.S. and this isn't it isn't something new. The U.S. is has been when when I was in college, I was just finishing my senior year, got knocked out of the NCAA and I had a deal to go to France. And right before I left for France, I got a call from the national team. And at the time, Sunil Gulati, who turns into the head of the Federation, the president of the Federation, he was the president of the East Coast and he I played on the East Coast. So I called them and I said, Sunil, I got this team in France. I go right in. I start training. I start getting paid. I start. I can play. But the national team just called me in. And at the time, I think Tab, Winalda, Harks, they were all playing in Europe at the time. And it was before the 94 World Cup. So I said, Sunil, are they calling me in so they have enough players for practice and enough players for games when they scrimmage and play their games? Or am I or do I really have a shot to make this team? Now, me, I thought I was could easily play with this team. Lalas. And listen, even if that played on the outside or played in the midfield, I was better than Mike Sorber. I was better than Mike Burns. I was better than Lapper. Like there was a lot of players I knew I was better than. Now I have a an outgoing attitude and I say whatever I feel and I say however I want it. And I tell the truth, whether you like it or you don't like it. I, I, I speak my mind. And that wasn't always the best thing for the national team uh, setups. And he said, I'm not sure, but I do know this. If you don't go, they will never call you back in. And I was like, Sunil, what are you talking about? Like, I got a chance to go play in Europe or go in for a couple months with the national team. What do you mean? If, if I turn into the best American, they're not going to call me back out of spite because I didn't go one time? And he said, yep. Like, that's how the national team was run back in the day. And now, like, we come full circle and we're so much better and the game is so much bigger and so much more popular and we're getting World Cups now and not having to start a league. We're getting Messi coming to the MLS. And and now we hire a coach and he's not coaching. Like, like that's a terrible look. It's a terrible look for the national program to your leader, the person who you are going to follow into soccer wars, basically, these battles to play for your country. But he can't show up for the Gold Cup because it's not our best team. It's not our best players. Like, that's what it looks like to me. Like, like I don't understand it. I don't I don't get it. Like, if you're saying Berhalter is going to be at camp and everything, but BJ deserves to, you know, still run these teams and, and Berhalter is going to be up in the booth making comments and here's what he sees and he thinks, but he's going to be at the trainings and it gives him an opportunity to talk to the players. Let BJ run the training sessions through Berhalter's eyes, through his eyes, but not the voice. His voice will be, he'll pull a player aside. He'll talk to a player here. He'll talk. To, then the, I'm all for it. I'm all for that. But like, 
He's nowhere to be. We haven't heard from him since he's been hired. We haven't seen him. I don't know if he's buying new Nikes for when he gets on the field again and he can do his cool basketball passes. Like, it just is, you're right. It's a terrible look for a country who is 11th in the world, got to be the highest we've ever been. And our last two games with our full against Mexico and Canada in Nations League is by far the U.S. has ever played. And then we put them back to back games. And then, and now we're here. And granted, we're winning nations. I mean, uh, the Gold Cup, but the Gold Cup is not very good. Let, let's just be honest. Like, I can't even make it through full games. Like, I'm flicking my channels to find other things that are on, and then I come back. The other day, when we played Trinidad and Tobago, I said to my daughter, she said, "We're gonna watch the game," and I said, "What for? It's gonna be six nothing." And it was six nothing. And it was like that's like St. Kitts. I was like, "Oh, we're gonna destroy this team," and we destroy this team. I didn't even get, I was working, so I didn't see the Jamaica game, but I've watched Jamaica since, and they actually look pretty good. They have some decent players with their team this year. They, they have a nice little squad, and I, I think it's going to come down to us in Jamaica. I would have a hard time thinking Mexico is going to put another game together and beat Jamaica. It's giving Big Brother vibes to me when you're talking about BJ Callahan coaching and then him in the air in the earpiece. Like that's that's Big Brother to me. So we'll see how this continues to play out. The men's national team will play Sunday night at seven o'clock in the quarterfinals. Real quick, real quick. This is yeah. just another one. I'm gonna make a prediction. Okay. Knowing that I know Burhalter. Okay. I bet you Burhalter gets rid of BJ Callahan when he takes over. That's my prediction on the show. Because there's going to be players that gravitate to BJ, not to, to Greg. How long do you think it'll take before he gets rid of him? Not long. I think when he comes in, he's two months, three months, four months. Whenever they get back Weeks? together, he's going to have a new. He's going to have a new. His first training sessions, he's going to have a new staff. That's my. That is just a prediction. I. I, I would be shocked. That's a hot take, Scotty. Yes, hot That's take. That's what I'm you here hear, for. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Scotty said Burhalter is letting Callahan go. We will definitely get back to this if we see that happen. Uh, I like it. I love Thank a hot you. take on this show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> NWSL play match day 14 wrapped up this past weekend. We saw some really interesting results because the international players are away with their World Cup teams. Oh, while Rain tied racing two to two. Chicago Red Stars beat San Diego 1-0. Washington Spirit loses to Orlando 0-3 at home in Washington, D.C. North Carolina Courage beats Houston 1-0. Portland loses to Kansas City 0-1. And Gotham and Angel City end in a scoreless draw Sunday afternoon. Which NWSL team had the most interesting result without their international players? Well... I thought all the games were pretty interesting, to be honest, and that mm -hmm. you see how important national international players are for teams. But but I have two. Um, I I was really impressed with Carolina. I, I was really I thought they were going to be they, I thought they were going to take a big L. I really did mm -hmm. without O'Sullivan, without Kirlene. I, I thought they were going to be in trouble, and they just business as usual. They they made. Fine, little fine little tweaks here and there. Um, now, granted, Houston without Schmidt, I think, is a problem because she does so much work for them. But I was yes. actually impressed with how well Carolina didn't change the way they play. They just realized, okay, we don't have Sullivan, we don't have Caroline, but this is what we do have. And here are the little 
tweaks we have to make based on the those players' talents because we don't have these players who have these certain talents. But the the KC game against Portland, something's going on in Portland because Portland does have a lot of players missing, but they still have a lot of players there. And to lose to Kansas City, who is missing their star, and still get a gets a result, and now is on the uptake in their in their results. That was the biggest game for me. Um, watching that that one nothing over Portland because Portland still does have so many good players that they throw out there at you. Like I'm still a huge Coffee fan. She's the captain of the team, and, and like her interview after the game. Uh, was, you know, she doesn't want him to have picked the wrong captain. I, again, I just think she's pure class. The girl is just pure class as a player. Um, not complaining, not pouting. Get out there and do your job, play in your games. But that game, was, to me, was, wow, they went in and took care of Portland. And Portland, yes, are missing a lot of players, but they still have – their bench is so deep that they still have a lot of good players. That was the, the game. The courage in the KC game was uh, was the biggest games for me. Portland, a loss to Kansas City wasn't too much. I thought it was crazier that they didn't score a goal. I mean, they still have Morgan Weaver in there. Their entire back line is the same. They didn't lose Bella Bigsby. You you mentioned Sam Coffey was still in there. The fact that they didn't score a goal, to me, is nuts with the amount of depth that they have and the players that they can switch and change within their rotation is very alarming. And they have Challenge Cup coming, coming up. They have two more regular season games potentially without their international players. My game was the Chicago Red Stars, San Diego. I went into that game thinking San Diego was going to blow them away. Based off Chicago lost Stark to Germany, she went back to her club over there. Bianchi had to sit out due to a suspension. So Carrie Ricaro was the only true center midfielder. They had two subs come in who I think – did a great job. Sarah Griffith really stepped up her game, had had some injuries at the beginning of the season, had the opportunity in the last few games and stepped up for them. Up top, Ella Stevens, who hasn't given a ton so far this season, but she got the goal. San Diego had no answers for them. They were only missing – well, I shouldn't say they're only missing. They missed Alex Morgan, uh, Naomi Germa, Sophia Jakobsen, Kaylin Sheridan, and Emily Van Eggman. Defensively, I think was the biggest breakdown for San Diego. If they don't have Germa on their back line, the communication and the consistency isn't there. Coach Stoney has been massive on how this team starts from their defensive principles and they attack through that. Without Germa in that back line, they really struggle to find their marks quickly and make sure that they're on the right spots to defend some of the quick transition crosses the Red Stars had. Good for Chicago. They really needed that result. They were sitting on three straight losses, didn't have many opportunities, many goals. Now Davidson is really starting to step up her game. Kaylin Sheridan is rather not Kaylin Sheridan. Kayla Sharples is now coming back from injury, playing next to Davidson. Scotty, you would like this. We were we were speaking with uh Coach Petroselli before this match, and we, I asked him about the center back pairing and Sharples and Davidson both coming off of ACL injuries last year, getting more minutes together. And he said that Davidson, people have to give her more grace. She's coming back from a massive injury. She's not expected to be at this insane level just yet because of the injury she had. She's continued to progress game after game. And it's so true. A Davidson is still a young player. She has so much potential with the national team. It's not crazy she got left off the roster just based off of her injury last season and not getting as many minutes this year. 
I agree though. I mean, I think she's done a, she did a great job against San Diego holding Jaden Shaw at bay. Uh, I thought Doniak had a great game, but she didn't have any really good chances. They did a good job of holding their line because San Diego steps so high and can be quick over the top if they're not making sure they're stepping before San Diego finds themselves in beyond. Davidson's a good player for Chicago, and I think she's one that I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on, why the national team players are gone, how she continues to improve with them. Yeah, I think Chicago, because of the way their year has gone, and they're they're missing some players, but no one has stepped up where like, oh, we, we it's really hard to win a game if we don't have so-and-so. Right. Whereas San Diego, and, and I think every team usually has that player. Like they they have that player. And I would have thought Chicago going into the year would be Nair. But Nair's given up 33 goals, you know, so maybe it's like she's kind of lost that little part of where the team is like, if we if we have this player, no matter who else is on the field, we have a chance to win. Well, San Diego, I think theirs is Germa. It's not Alex Morgan. It's Germa. If we have Germa, we can stop the other team, and we'll eventually find a way. We got enough players, Jaden Shaw, uh, Kaperniak, uh, Alex Morgan. Who We have players that will get us one goal. If we have Germa, there's a good chance they won't score on us. So going into that game, if I'm a Chicago player, this is the time of year where we're like, oh, we can get back in this. We can get back in this whole mess. It's Everybody's kind of still close. It, it's a league where dog eat dog. So like the top teams keep playing each other and knocking each other and hurting each other. Sometimes they tie. It gives us a chance if we can get wins, we can get two points on a team. We can get three points on a team. So Chicago right now had to be like, finally, finally, here's our chance. Let's get a rhythm. Let's get something going. And, and I think that's kind of how the game went. Like it wasn't like they didn't fear San Diego, but they knew San Diego was missing key components of leadership, of of that mental fortitude that, oh, we have Gurma, we'll figure this out, we'll get a win. Well, when you're missing, and again, like I said, I don't think it's Alex Morgan for them. I think it's Gurma for them. And I, I think every team has a player that that is like that. You can go through it and be like, I'm sure Carolina, when they went into their game, was like, oh, how are we going to make up for Sullivan? It wasn't their forwards. It wasn't Caroline. It was it was how are we gonna and they did a really good job doing that. And and I agree that game, Chicago getting their against San Diego. But going into that game, I said to myself, man, if I'm Chicago, man, I am gearing up for this game. Here's our chance to make a, a little run while this World Cup's going. There's not a lot of games, but there's enough where we can get a couple points here and there and get ourselves moving up this table. And when everybody comes back, now you got you know, you got momentum on your side. You're playing good. The wins changes the locker room. Wins changes training sessions. So uh, that one, a little surprising, but I think going into it, they had to be like, hey, here's our chance. Here is our mm -hmm. chance of getting um, a, a victory here and, and moving up this table. I thought Shaw and Doniak played really well together in the San Diego attack. Even Korniak underneath looked really strong. Not that, that Alex Morgan can't provide something, but you're right. She doesn't have that X factor that they need Gurma on that back line. Kristen McNabb was out as well, so there was a substitution for Madison Pogarsh, who struggled to get back defensively, and that's where Chicago really went down their throats. But Gurma, she means everything to that San Diego roster, and it really showed against Chicago. Kaylin Sheridan's backup in Shea Inez 
played a great game. I thought she did really well in that for them, her communication, her foot skills, a few steps behind Sheridan, but I think her getting opportunities and being able to see her play and with all these NWSL teams coming in in the next few years, she has some good opportunities. But it was really interesting. Like San Diego had 60% possession of the game and they could not find the back of the net. And it shows that Chicago's really been working on their defensive structure. They've had to all season long and it paid off in quick transition, and it worked out from a Malazzo cross to Ella Stevens. It was a fun game. Not what I expected, but a VAR goal called off in the first half. Everything you need in NWSL. I thought it was really well-rounded with what we got from both sides. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were on the show, and we talked about it was international break for the men's side. And so a whole bunch of the internationals were gone, and the games were just a mess. <laughs> they were just terrible soccer games in the MLS. And we talked about, man, you can really see how important your designated players are, your international stars are in the MLS, because it really drives the teams. Well, in the M M NWSL, we see, good God, they're loaded with talent, international and not international stars. Because, like, there wasn't a game that I turned on and was like, oh, I got to turn this off. This is just... They were just really good games, different than we're used to how they're playing. Carolina didn't change it that much, but it was there was little tweaks. There was little changes in these things. San Diego, we said it. She has been changing her lineup throughout the year, and I think it's because she's been waiting for this opportunity right now that she's not going to have these stars who know their spot, who know their role, and you're going to have to mix it up and, and fine-tune it. And I think that's a really good sign of the quality of players in the NWSL and the quality of coaching in the NWSL, that they're able to change things up and they still throw a fantastic product out on the field. Whereas if it's international break, listen, if Atlanta doesn't have what's-his-face playing the little Argentine Almada. Um, yeah. Yeah, then, then don't turn the game on. It's not going to be that good of a game. It's going to be kick and run. It's not going to – they're not going to try to play through him. But when he's there, Atlanta plays this high-flying offensive style and you know they, they need to shore up their defense, that's for sure, but – they get, they get forward and they get forward well and get goals. But that that's – I just think that was – when I was watching, I was like, man, there's a lot of people missing, and it's still a really, really good game. And I don't even know if – you'll never see it, but if it was like the EPL and it was international break, what would the games look like? I don't know if the quality would stay to the standard it normally is as well as this, it stayed in the NWSL. Like the games were still really good games, real high quality. The people that came off the bench – they, they didn't miss a beat. And I think that's a huge testament to the players, to the coaches, uh, to the league itself. The fact that nobody missed a beat also is the fact that there's not as many clubs. And I like that in NWSL. Like we've mentioned, it's so easy to follow every single club and know everything that's happening because there's not so many teams and it makes the competition even better. And, and Challenge Cup is about to restart because of the World Cup. Those games are going to be just as exciting as regular season because we're going to start to see some of these players that don't get the minutes during regular season opportunities that they wouldn't have without the World Cup and they could be the next you know Taylor Korniak or Danielle Colaprico in the midfield for a team down the line players just like in life people need opportunities to show their skill and what they have they need somebody to take a, a risk on them and that's what Challenge Cup and NWSL provides and we have not seen a drop off in play and it was really fun to see especially Coach Stoney what Petroselli was able to put together within his roster during the international leave um, it'll be really fun to continue to see you know how 
these teams progress throughout Challenge Cup and regular season without their internationals here. Yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be certain players that are going to, and you're you're always as a player trying to gain the trust of your coach. And some players just, they, they just don't get the opportunity sometimes, or they get it in training, but then the coach is still like, well, that was training and, and it's kind of yeah. a different environment. Well, now they're going to be thrown into situations where it is a real game. It, it is a challenge cup game. It does mean something. Uh, the other team is trying to win just as much as you're trying to win. So I think certain players are going to gain the trust of their coaches. That doesn't mean, mean they become starters. It means instead of getting 15 minutes, they're getting 30 minutes. Plus, with these girls coming back from the World Cup, fatigue is going to start to play a factor in the league for all the internationals coming back. So they're going to only maybe have 60 minutes where they used to have 90 minutes until they get their legs back under them for the travel that they're going to be going through with the World Cup and coming back and getting into the into the flow again. So I think this is a, a great opportunity for some of these players to gain the trust. Because, listen, in Carolina, nobody's taking Sullivan's spot. It's never going to happen. They're not going to take O'Sullivan's spot. It's not. But I might be able to say, oh, I'm up to nothing if I'm Sean Nahas and say, hey, you know what? I can take O'Sullivan out and put so-and-so in. And I get 15 minutes of O'Sullivan off the field. I, I don't have to risk her with injury or fatigue or whatever. I, I can take her off and, and get her the recognition from the fans. I think that's going to be a good opportunity for coaches to see what they have and for players to gain that trust to get the opportunity to play more minutes when the season starts back up after the World Cup. When you get more minutes in a game-like experience, you get this confidence that you maybe wouldn't have in training. Like when you get to be on a field in an environment where the fans are there, you hear the support, you're playing against another team, that is something no training, nothing outside of an actual match will ever be able to provide for players. So these regular season and Challenge Cup matches, why the World Cup players are gone, is just going to provide so much. And for us to talk more about some of the players, spotlights and players that maybe we haven't seen the beginning half of the season and who has potential in NWSL in the long road. Staying with NWSL, there are a ton of players going to the World Cup outside of players that we've been covering with the U.S. women's national team. We have players from Jamaica, Brazil, France, et cetera, you name it. There is going to be a lot of NWSL players to watch. Scotty, out of all the players in the league that aren't U.S. women's national team players, who are you going to be watching the most specifically and why? Um, well, there, there, you're right. There are a lot of great players. And... I'm a huge O'Sullivan fan. Like, I love her style of play. I do. She's I mean, an easy pick. <laughs> right. I mean, she does. She's a, I like players. And I always tell people when they ask me who's my favorite player or who do I think is the best soccer player, I always tell the people, like, when you ask me that question, like, because I would never pick Messi as the best soccer player. Now, as far as the world and what soccer is and the Pele's, the Maradona's, the, yeah, Messi, I understand the pick of Messi, the best soccer player ever to play, blah, blah, blah. Me personally, and maybe it's because of the way I played, when you say best soccer player to me, I am thinking who can defend, who can win headers, who can win tackles, who can get assists, who can get goals, who can make runs. Like You have to be able to encompass the whole game, everything that the game takes to win. And I understand Messi – is the offensive part for most of the teams he's on, which then means he usually has a defensive counterpart that does his work. So like uh, DePaul for Argentina, 
is Messi's workhorse. He does the work defensively for him. He covers his own and he covers for Messi. And he's not the only one, but that's usually his guy. It's his bodyguard, basically. So, like, he has one. When I look at O'Sullivan, I think, man, she doesn't need one. She can get us goals. She can get us assists. She can break up a play at the end. She can organize us. She can do this. She can win headers. She So, like, that's, for me, is I, I like an O'Sullivan as the most complete player. Like, I love complete players. But like you said, you got Caroline. You got Dabina. You got Marta. What she's going to do. There's all these players. Um, there are two players, though, that I would really like to see. Um, from Louisville, Chidiak, who's going to be with Australia. Now, I really want to see how Australia does just because they're the home nation. And I think the home nation usually has a really good – I think it was Brazil a couple years ago, the men that just did terrible in Brazil. Like, it was the first time a, a host nation did so bad in their own World Cup, basically. But the other one, and she hasn't played a lot this year, is Rocky Rodriguez. And the reason I say Rodriguez is because she is the type of player that does really good when everything is on her. She was a really, really, really standout player at Gotham when Gotham was terrible. Like, I thought she was one of the best players in the league. Gotham was terrible. They didn't have anybody around her. They didn't have anything, any support. But what she does when she gets the role of, it's all about me, she becomes something really fun to watch and real special to watch. Now, I think that's part of the problem why she doesn't get as many minutes in Portland is because it's such a team-oriented place you play, and it's don't come off the – don't go off script. We only have one player that goes off script, and her name is Sophia Smith, and that's where she plays. But in the midfield and in the back, stay on script. I think that's Portland's MO. I think that's how they play. I think that's why they're good. So her breaking into the lineup in Portland is hard for her. But I think when she goes to Costa Rica, she'll be the only one. And if they're if she doesn't play good, they're in big trouble. So I think she's going to have some really good individual performances that I would like to watch because when she's in that environment where it's all me or nothing, she actually really, really does well in those environments. But like I said, Chidiak uh, for Louisville, I, I think she's a high-energy player. I think she'll feed off the crowd. I don't know how many minutes she'll get at Australia for Australia, but I think when she gets in, she'll be something that that that, that crowd will want to see, that that team will feed off of, and I think she'll have a pretty good tournament. And then Rocky Rodriguez. Now, again, I want to see all the other, like the Carolines, for obvious reasons. But those are two players that I think could have a bit of an impact and come back with a, a little bit of a swagger coming off the World Cup. It's funny you bring up Chidiak because the, the Athletic, I want to say it was the Athletic, reported on her and told this really cool story about how she got left off the last roster and she had the opportunity to potentially make this one. And I know she had a lot of internal conflicts about why and, and what happened and why should it make the last roster had been working really hard the last two years in NWSL to get more minutes. And that was one of the biggest thing. Like she wasn't getting as many minutes at the club level to have the opportunity with Australia. She's going to have a lot to prove for herself. I think she's going to be a player who's going to want to do a lot and be that higher energy, not just for her team, but also for herself. And you mentioned the home and the people who are hosting it. New Zealand's obviously hosting it as well. Allie Riley has talked a lot about 
this opportunity within the World Cup. And she is an Angel City outside back. She's the captain in Los Angeles. I'm excited to see how she uses this as a platform. She's a player who not only does she do well in the field, but off the field, she's done a lot to really help soccer grow, especially in California. And I know she's going to take that pride on as well when she's in her home country of New Zealand. Her father's from New Zealand. She's from Los Angeles originally. But she's one of those players. You mentioned Caroline. She was one of my big players. She has eight goals in NWSL. She's just behind Sophia Smith with the second most goals in the league right now. The World Cup is where everyone says they want to peak. Like the players want to be peaking once the World Cup rolls around. I think Caroline is kind of peaking right now with the North Carolina Courage. It'll be really fun to see her, you know, her partnership with Marta. Ari Borges from Louisville, Dabinia, Adriana with Orlando, who's really turned around this Pride Club in the last few games. There's so many numbers with Brazil that I'm very excited to see how it transitions from the NWSL and how they bring that high-flying, high-energy experience here in the States to Australia and New Zealand with their national team. But there are so many talented players just across all of the countries that I'm really excited to see, but what they have going on in New Zealand and obviously all those players in Brazil and how Brazil is marketing themselves on social media. They've done a really good job with like quick snippets, fun content that sometimes we don't see outside from just the U.S. women's national team. So it's fun to see how Brazil is investing in the social media, the marketing aspect of what we're going to see in the World Cup. Yeah, Brazil, I agree. Brazil is going to be super interesting to watch. We're going to find out how good of a coach Pia is, I, I think. Right. Because you did the, all the – Caroline, Dabinha, Marta, Burge, I mean, they're all the superstars for their club team. So right. you're bringing all these alphas and putting them on the field together and then saying, okay, who's the leader? And to be honest, you would think it's Marta, but I don't think Marta can be your leader because I don't think she can play all the minutes, all the games. I don't think she has it in her. She's going to be more of the Rapino in a sense uh, mm. for Brazil, where she's going to have to lead these younger girls and egos are going to have to be put aside four times. And, and the only reason you're playing to be great is for the country of Brazil. Because if you do it for yourself, like I, I personally think Caroline was going for stats earlier in the year and it was hurting the courage. Now, granted, Sean made a couple adjustments and they've done some different things and they reworked their midfield a tiny bit um, and they're getting more people forward. But Caroline was doing things she wasn't passing as much. She wasn't laying the ball off. She knew I'm the best option, so I might as well shoot it, even though it's a 360 turnaround, left-footed shot from the corner of the 18. Well, when you're out Brazil and, and the players they have, man, any one of them could score at any time, so you have to do the right thing that's for the team. So seeing how Pia takes this team of alphas and makes them all play for the country, the team, the club, it, it'll be super interesting to see because they are – they're loaded, loaded with like, not just good players, like superstars, like players that make you stand up when they get the ball. Um, yeah. Like you said, but again, there's so many good teams. Like I can't wait to see Germany. To be honest, I, I picked Spain to win the world cup. Now I don't know if they can win the world cup with, with everything that's going on. I still think they can. I still think they have massive amounts of talent, but I, if there was no problem in Spain, that would be my team to easily pick. And then the team besides Spain I'm really looking forward to is just something about the way the, the Germans remind me of the old 80s, 90s men's national team. Like they're just, they're just, un, they'll play any style they have to, to beat you. 
and they have all these different pieces that they can play in different formations they can play, and they're big and they're strong and they're technical and they're tactically intelligent. So Spain and Germany are two of the teams that I'm really looking forward to watching play. It'd be interesting to see how Spain does just based off of what you said, everything that's been happening off the field, the players that have decided to not go to the World Cup because of it. Pia Sunhagen used to coach the U.S. women's national team. You would think she's used to the alpha personalities and how to deal with that. So it'll be very fun to see how she has dealt with or hand how she dealt with what happened with the U.S. Women's National Team with those egos and how she uses that experience here with her time in Brazil because that is a team full of creativity, full of athleticism, and full of a lot of talented players. So a lot to look forward to in the World Cup this summer. Kicks off in 15 days. I cannot believe that. I I feel like it was March yesterday, but here we are. We haven't done a yellow penny in a few weeks, Scotty, so it is time to bring it back. Let's do it. What is your yellow penny of the week? Okay, so <laughs> I feel like I always go after these this kind of this group in a sense, but so with all the stuff that's been going on with the Gold Cup and the and the US and the Nations League, we get a full dose of Alexi Lalas mm-hmm. week in and week out. So first before yeah, Alexi Lalas is getting my yellow penny, but before I get to Alexi Lalas, I do want to say when he was playing Landon Donovan, he I wasn't the biggest fan of Landon Donovan. I thought he was a very, very good soccer player, but I think he did some certain things like the stuff that happened at Azteca. There were some certain things he did, certain things he said in the media, the way he represented himself in the country. I thought, man, he's a little snotty. He seemed like a little um, spoiled. That's what he came across as. But since the World Cup and since he's been doing the commentating for the national team, I've really grown to like him, and he he says some of some really intelligent and um, not just intelligent, but stuff that could get him fired because he doesn't always say good things about the national team. Like just recently, he said he he doesn't have any problem with us basically going out and trying to get these foreign players to pick the U.S., but he doesn't want players that are just doing it because they can't play for their national teams other places. And this is their one way of playing for a national team. He wants them to pick it for the growth of the game, for to love the country, to, to get the next generations. So I, I've been really impressed with Landon Donovan on, on his commentating and the way he does the games and then what he has to, to say about things that are happening. Back to Lalas. This week, yes, we already got to understand we're watching the Gold Cup and we've already talked about it. The talent is nothing near what – the national team normally plays against Mexico's a shell of themselves. Canada's hasn't brought their full squad. Jamaica's okay. Trinidad's terrible. St. Kitts was nothing. Haiti is really good offensively. Can't play any defense. That's been their MO, their whole style time. Cuba is the same. They don't even know how to play defense. But he said that Jesus Ferreira, on one of his takes, Lala said, Jesus Ferreira is better than, uh, what's his name? Balone that we just signed. For the U.S. Like, listen, Lalas, you you cannot just say silly things just because you want to promote U.S. soccer and MLS and that's your job or whatever. There is he is nowhere near as good as him. You can see it in his runs. You can see it in his shape, receiving balls. You can see it in his striking of a ball like Jesus Ferrer is a good player and he deserves chances with the national team. But that, like I like you just can't say things because he scored three goals against St. Kitts. Like, please, please. <laughs> 
at the same time that he's better than Donovan and Dempsey because Donovan and Dempsey never had two hat tricks back to back. But we would never say that. We wouldn't come on because it's it's ludicrous. Like Lalas says things like it seems to me sometimes because he's in in cahoots with the national team or the MLS, like he's always self-promoting and he's always self-promoting them. Whereas I don't think that's always necessarily the good thing. Like you got to mm-hmm. tell it like it is like Jesus Ferreira. What I would have said was, yeah, sure. You can score hat tricks against these teams. Can you do it against France? Can you do it against the Netherlands? Can you do it against, and, and then give them the opportunity to prove yes or no, but to say he's as good as this new guy, like, uh, come on. No, he's not. You could see it in one game, two games. We've only seen the kid play, and we know he's better than Ferreira. He makes better runs. He's stronger on the ball. His his finishing is is more clinical. Like, I, just to me, is like you can't say things and then be like because to be honest, whether we like it or not, he is the voice of U.S. soccer. He is our voice. So like, he has to do a better job telling the truth. Like he he has to. He can't say things like that and then continue to be the voice of U.S. soccer just because he's in the, in the know with, I don't know, does he know why Burholder's not coaching the games? Like, to me, it's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta say the hard truths to, to promote the game. And, and I don't think that he always does that. He always promotes himself. So for me, Lalas gets my, my yellow jersey because in that position, he cannot just say that because of three goals in this tournament, two hat tricks in this tournament, because where are all his other goals against really high quality? Let, like, let, let's look at, I, I, I just read a thing they call Jesus Ferreira. Say, they said his nickname should be, he's the pirate of the Caribbean because he kills all the Caribbean teams. Like, yeah, but we always killed the Caribbean teams. Like, I want to see him kill the European teams. When he starts killing European teams, then I'll come back and say, sorry, Lexi, you're totally right. He is as good. But I really do not think that's ever going to happen. And, and if he was so good, like, why are teams not beating down the door to sign this guy? Like no one's beating down the door to sign Jesus Ferreira because he scored a whole bunch of goals for Dallas. That's just the truth of it. Right. Brandon Vasquez probably could have subbed in and been the starter in that game and scored a hat trick as well. There's plenty of other players. And I'm laughing just because it's funny. And the context of all of it is is pretty funny. And you make a good point with Lawless being he is the face of a lot of especially the men's national team. And he has a lot to say and a lot of people really believe what he says you've talked about this before and this is what's been kind of ingrained in my head because of you is we need soccer fans in america to be smarter and that's how the game is going to grow is if we have joe schmo down the street who knows the ins and outs of a 4-3-3 and why the men's national team isn't having greg berhalter coach for the gold cup he's going to be a bigger fan of soccer here in the States, and he's going to be more invested. And if we're truthful about what's happening and why things are happening, we're going to get a ton of new fans who want to support and want to be, be supportive of certain players. Like, let's say Jesus Ferrer, he's not a bad player. Maybe a fan is a fan of his because they understand what he does for the national team, not because he's the next Christian Pulisic or whoever for the men's national team. I agree with what you say, and I think the biggest point you make is like, we need to make fans smarter and educate people on soccer here in the States. And that's just a step down, but it was funny. (laughs) My my yellow penny is not soccer related, but it's kind of sports related, I guess. I don't know what you think of this one in the spirit of the 4th of July, the hot dog eating contest that they put on ESPN is my yellow penny. It is not a sport people jamming 
food into their face, chugging copious amounts of water to make sure that they can actual, actually small, swallow the hot dogs and the hot dog bread or bun or whatever you want to call it. It's crazy. It's so unhealthy. People shouldn't be doing it. It's the most American thing that I've ever seen. And I love it for that reason, but it is not a sport and people die, right? Like people could die during a hot dog eating contest, like swallow one thing the wrong way and you're toast. I'll tell you, I love hot dogs and I don't watch it because it is disgusting. Same. It is it's so, so disgusting. And I'm now mad because I just saw today that there's going to be heightened security because last year a guy tried to run up on stage to get no. to uh, whatever. To the hot dogs? To, to the, no, to the main guy, Chestnut, whatever his name is. Oh, Joey Chestnut. Yeah. yeah they tried to get Joey Chestnut. So like, I guess it's cool because it's coming so big that the fans want to get up close and personal, I guess, with you. But yeah, like as a fan of hot dogs themselves, like I really, truly enjoy a good hot dog. Like I don't want to see anyone do that to a hot dog. It's just, it's disgusting. It grosses me out. And like a couple years ago, I watched them, like I watched the show about and how hard they train for, for eating competitions. And I was just like, I mean, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's a sport, but what they go through in the training and how they eat and I, 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 don't, I don't know. You're right. I, I agree with yours. Is maybe we should get, yeah, okay. Lala, get Lala's to be in the hot dog eating contest where he can't say oh stupid God. stuff while he's shoving his, <laughs> his mouth. I mean, like the like you said, they exercise basically to do it. And Joe yeah. Chestnut's a pretty skinny dude. Like he's not overweight by any means. So I don't understand the science behind it. I don't know why anybody would ever do this. I don't know the history behind it. I, I would love to know like who made this up and why they decide to make it like a national thing that we do on the Fourth of July. I mean, you said you like hot dogs. What's your what do you put on your hot dogs? Uh, it depends what hot dogs I'm eating. So like if I'm getting a hot okay. dog from a deli, then I'm going to go a little bit more gourmet. Deli? Yeah, yeah. Dr- That's like high class oh, over there. Yeah. Well, my favorite hot dogs, because I'm from New Jersey, is the Dirty Water Dog out of New York City, the Sabrettes. That they okay. get on, they're on the stands. Um, mm-hmm. But the Sabrettes, like they're here in stores and people will see them in stores. Don't be fooled. The only people that can get natural casing Sabrettes hot dogs are the New York vendors. They're the only ones that get them, can get those dogs. Only they. We can buy Sabrettes, but they don't have natural casing on them in the store. So oh. if, like, I like a Chicago dog. I like sauerkraut, if it's a good sauerkraut. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put tomatoes and onions and different things like that. Like, I, I just really, truly enjoy, I enjoy hot dogs. I, I like I like the, sometimes I'll grill them. Sometimes I boil them. Sometimes pan fry them. Like, it just depends on, what we're eating with them and stuff like that. And yeah, but if I can get a good deli dog, like in a deli, heck yeah, I'll go for a deli dog all the time. I've <laughs> never, ever done that. Where in Cary can you get a deli dog? The butcher, the butcher market. But with like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like okay, they'll make it with out. their meat. So, you know, like, you know what they say hot dogs are. When you go to the butcher, they're not that. <laughs> okay. So they're taking the ends of a filet. If it's a beef dog, they're taking the ends of the scraps of what they put out there for me to buy for steaks or for pork or so that they make them, they grind them up themselves and they put them in the casings themselves. And they do that. They do all that for you. Not like what Nathan's or right. uh, Park Frank's are. And don't get me wrong. I love Nathan's too. Um, but, and then like when I was in played in Rochester, we had Zweigels were up there and you got the red hot and the white hot. And that's just the different things that are in them. 
Uh, and I wasn't a huge fan of the Zweigels, to be honest, but they're they're decent, mm-hmm. but I'm not a huge, huge fan of them. But like okay. I do like the ones like in the deli. There used to be here in Cary, we have Fresh Market and they used yes. to uh, they used to make theirs or they got theirs from somebody that was making them like a deli. And one time I got them and I ate it and I I left the seat. I was at dinner with my wife and daughter and I said, I got to go. I got up and I drove back to Fresh Market and I saw the guy that I used to always get my stuff from. And I said, did you guys get a different de- do- hot dog person? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, don't you think you needed to tell us? Like they had switched their <laughs> hot dog maker and it, it was a totally different taste. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what I was expecting. So uh, I was upset about it because I like hot dogs. They lied to you. They just didn't tell me. It was one of those like, yeah. oh, here he is first. He's going to get his hot dogs. Great. I was like, can I get my two hot dogs? Because no one else really eats hot dogs in the house. Well, Emmy started eating them, but my wife doesn't. Um, and I was so mad because that's where I got my hot dogs. And now I've been on the search for, like I oh, said, the, the market, the butcher does. They're pretty good. But this. The fresh market, whoever they were using was amazing. Then they switched them and they're not back and they're terrible now compared to what they were. If anybody has any recommendations on where to get good dogs in North Carolina, Scotty is is waiting to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I, go and eat there. <laughs> I don't really have, I'm not as specific. I'm be honest, Scotty. I wasn't expecting this in-depth analysis on hot dogs <laughs> from you, but I really enjoyed it. I'm, I don't know my favorite brand. Like, to be honest, I love hot dogs as well. I normally only eat sauerkraut on my bratwurst. I've never had them on a hot dog before, but I like the mustard, the ketchup, the relish, sending out a ball game with a good beer. That's how I, that's how I, I enjoy I think it. that's where my hot dog whole thing started. Okay. Baseball games. Like I have yeah. to eat a hot dog. If I go to a baseball game, well, that's a lie. I have to eat like three. I, I right. <laughs> like I go to the sporting events solely to eat. I, that Everyone knows that if you go to a sporting event with me, like you're going to drink beers and you're going to eat. Like I'm going to try everything. I'm like, let's see how their popcorn is. Let's see how their hot dogs are. Let's see. Like, so that's where the how hot dog thing started. Like the Yankee games, the Mets games, Ranger games. But, or like then you're leaving the stadium and then all the stands are on the – as you go to your car, they've got hot dog stands and pretzel stands, and you're eating a hot mm. dog and a pretzel walking to your car kind of a thing. So I, I always eat a hot dog at a sporting event uh, just to see who has one of my favorite ones. The, the Cleveland Browns hot dogs are pretty darn good. I, I'm not going to lie okay. to you. They, if you go to a Browns game ever, get a hot dog. They're pretty good. Um, I don't have any plans to go, but do you know Katie Nolan from ESPN? Uh, she did this video. You'll have to look it up. If you type in Katie Nolan baseball hot dog, she went to a baseball game and in every inning she ate the number of hot dogs and had a beer of the inning. So like in the third inning, she had three hot dogs and three beers in the fourth inning. And she got to probably honestly the fourth inning and was dying, but it is so freaking funny. Her and some other guy probably 10 years ago, Go look it up. It's hysterical. I would never do it. I'd be puking my brains out for days, but that's what you do. When you go to baseball, when you honestly go to sporting games in America, like you have to know what is happening at the concession stands before you show up. Otherwise, you're just unprepared. Let's be honest. And and to be honest, when you go to baseball games, you have to make up time. So like I played in Atlanta and I went to to an Atlanta Brave game and I'd never done it before and, and I didn't realize it, but it's a huge Atlanta thing. They play the mound game. Have you ever played the mound game? No. What's that? Let's say there's four of us or three of us, and we start with the seat closest to the aisle. That's the first person to start. So at the end of every three outs, they throw the ball to the mound. Well, if it lands in the dirt, that person has to buy a round of beers 
for the group. So then it goes to the next. Well, in Atlanta, the players know you're playing. So like the outfielder will catch it and he'll run up and he'll tippy toe up and he drops it right on the top of the mound to see if it'll roll off or stay on the dirt or hit the grass. So like they know you're playing. So when I was in Atlanta, I was like, you know, I was young and I'll drink beer. I love beer. And it was at the baseball game. But the guy who was with us was like the, he worked for the team because I played for the ruckus at the time, the Atlanta ruckus. Um, he worked for the team and he knew the game. So he did it. He was the only person that the ball ever ended up in the mound. I think there was like four of us, maybe three of us, but he like shelled out like 180 bucks. Oh my God. <laughs> Easy. And the beers are so expensive and he had to buy for everybody. Yeah. So we were, to say the least, we were, we had a, a little too much to drink. He was a little short in the, in the, in the wallet. And that game, actually, it was 0-0. And like in the ninth inning, I went to the bathroom because it was mm -hmm. such a boring game. And Chipper Jones hit a home run. And I couldn't find anybody because I had drank too much. And they all left. <laughs> so I was like trying to. And it was before cell phones. So I couldn't find a ride home. It was awesome. That's my Love that. Story. <laughs> Love a good baseball story that ends in not knowing how to get home. <laughs> I thought I had a whole bunch of hot dogs. I, I was I, I had enough uh, food in me to get me home three hours later from downtown, Fulton, <laughs> whatever it was called at the time. I love it. I love it. No baseball games today. It is still blazing hot in the Carolinas. Oh, I'm going. It's insane. I'm Mexican food with margaritas is my food and drink of choice on the Fourth of July. Your Scotty. Well, tonight I'm actually going to my sister-in-law's and they just called me to ask me, I don't know why they had to ask, but they're doing a bourbon tasting. So I'll be drinking bourbon tonight. Nice. I'm trying I like bourbon. that. That's fun. No, I'm pretty psyched about it too. Yeah. No, I've never done that, but I heard those can be like really fun. I didn't know, honestly, they could be so specific, but I guess they can't. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to drink the bourbon and Whichever one I like the most, I'm check it. <laughs> pretend, pretend you know what you're doing. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Straight From The Pitch. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, at SFTPPod. We will be watching the men's national team game on Sunday. Plenty of MLS and NWSL matches this weekend, and we are so close to the World Cup. So stay with us through it all. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. Have a great week. <laughs>